It's a women powered cheese. No, you'll say it. You're good. You are so you're so good. You really are great. You are like doing people for the you past. Are, yeah, you're a class you're really act guiding man. Twelve years. So. I know, but you do it so well. Welcome to the Collective Creamery Podcast, where we're crafting the conversation around American artisan cheese. I'm Stephanie Angstadt, and I am the owner and cheesemaker of Valley Milk House Creamery. I'm Sue Miller, dairy farmer and cheesemaker at Bertrand Hills Farm. And I'm Alex Jones. I'm a food writer and cheesemonger based in Philadelphia. Uh, And in 2016, the three of us decided to get together for a new project that we were going to collaborate on. Uh, We started Collective Creamery, which is a really cool cheese club uh, where the three of us curate delicious uh, pasture-based artisan cheeses from art cheesemakers and guest cheesemakers all over the greater Mid-Atlantic region uh, and send them right to your door or your neighborhood. Um, you can join our new season. So uh, head to CollectiveCreamery.com for more info on that. But we also decided to dig even deeper into the stories behind those delicious cheeses. It's true. We were so inspired by the reception of our little cheese club. And we decided to just take it a step further and have a regular conversation about cheese and interview some of the cheesemakers that we're featuring in our club. So Sue, what does this podcast mean to you? I am so excited to be working on this podcast with Alex and Stephanie and the fact that we're going to be connecting with some of our very favorite cheesemakers in the region and exploring their process, their cheeses, pairings with it, and then bringing that information to you so that you can learn more about the cheeses that um, you want to be eating right now. That's what is going to be happening in this podcast. And we're going to be releasing uh, one interview a month. Uh, and one tasting episode a month. So you're going to get to meet these cheesemakers, get really into the challenges that they face, what keeps them up at night, their successes, um, what they're most proud of in their cheese caves. And then we're going to be tasting some of those cheeses, uh, really digging in to how to enjoy them. Um, And of course, we're going to be sipping some wines or beers and snacking on some cheeses during those. Um, And then maybe we'll have even some special bonus episodes with other special guests, uh, like our friend Madame Fromage might pop by. I can't Um, wait to hear from her. Yeah, she's the best. So we're super excited about that. Uh, And to give you guys an example of how the podcast is going to work, we decided to let you uh, get to know us a little bit. Um, so Stephanie is going to be our first interview. Let's dive in. Cheers. Cheers. Today, Steph is in the hot seat. Oh, yay. <laughs> Nerve-wracking. Oh, you have so much great things. You have so much to share with us. Well, Steph, so you talked about how... You, you were like, I quit my job and I went and became a cheesemaker. And I feel like that's so many people's dream. I mean, it's like my dream. And I, I don't, I'm not a cheesemaker, but I work. I'm a cheesemaker adjacent. Uh, and, and so many people think of that as this, um, you know, bucolic and wonderful sort of way to escape 
the, you know, real life. Um, and you've actually done it. That's funny. Gay, <laughs> sorry. I know, right? Um, obviously, they don't know what they're talking about. They haven't done it, but you have. Welcome so, to the brutal world of cheese making. <laughs> maybe you can start by saying, like, talking a little bit about your life before you became a cheesemaker and, like, what led to that decision oh, for you. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so, let's see. I, uh, I, Grew up as a basketball player, actually. I spent uh, a lot of my summers and a lot of my school years um, playing sports. And I grew up with a father who was a basketball player in Europe for many years professionally, um, which is how he met my Belgian mother. And um, so it's interesting. I, yeah, I did not necessarily... um, grow up with an experience on the farm, which I now kind of idealize and wish I had had. Um, but I, I mainly grew up in the Jersey suburbs and, um, always had a curiosity about agriculture because, um, it's very much my ancestral heritage. Um, and even my more recent ancestry, both sets of my grandparents were farmers And, um, so I was always really curious about that. I, let's see, I went to a liberal arts college, graduated, didn't know what the heck to do with my life. Like most people graduating with a liberal arts degree and, uh, decided to gravitate to New York city with all my friends and get a desk job. And I worked for, um, the bank of New York Mellon and, um, actually worked on uh, one Wall Street. That was one of the offices that we had, which people just don't believe uh, <laughs> that I wore a business suit and worked on Wall Street. Um, and I was I was a salesperson. I was basically selling financial services to uh, different institutions. Yeah, right. Really abstract. I'm making a terrible face right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a great paycheck. It was a chance to live in New York City. But I wasn't passionate about it. And I discovered that very quickly and started planning my escape. Um, So I worked there for about three years and uh, decided to go off the rails and pursue an apprenticeship with a goat dairy out in Colorado. What did your family think when you (laughs) left this kind of idealistically a great job for a college graduate? It's interesting because to our world, but yeah. <laughs> well, and in like financial uh, crisis time too. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Um, now I'm I'm pretty lucky that uh, my my father was my greatest cheerleader and still is. I mean, even though he kind of grew up in the corporate world, he um, I think he remembers graduating from college and buying a one way ticket to to Spain and going to join a basketball team over there. And I think he has a great sense of adventure. So he has been really supportive. And, um, it was interesting as I gave my, uh, one month notice at my company and said, I would be leaving, uh, people really came out of the woodwork and started pouring their hearts out to me about how they wish they had taken a risk in life. So it was validating. It made me feel, um, well, sad, that people don't take risks in life, but also really excited about my next chapter. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I went to go work on this goat dairy. I, I had a, an idea that cheese making would suit me because it's very sensual. It's very tactile. I like working with my hands. Um, and I like that it's situated between the farm and the kitchen. That's what I was really drawn to. So it's an agricultural, agricultural food, of course, but one that takes, um, 
a little bit of a deeper knowledge to really refine it. And I thought it could be a good lifelong quest for me to understand how to make cheese. So I worked for this goat dairy, Avalanche Cheese Company, and um, what a great training ground! It too. was great. Yeah, Beautiful it was a great. Cheese is made out there. It was a great training ground. Um, Wendy Mitchell out there, um, unfortunately, is closing her shop, but um, just taught me a lot about milk quality and how to preserve some traditional techniques of cheese making. We made a cloth bound cheddar goat cheddar, which wins a bunch of awards every year and yeah, um, is quite the lure for a lot of chefs and cheese shop owners. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a great experience and I learned all about grit. And I think that's something that, you know, it it kind of takes the romance out of it really quickly when you just stand at a sink for a few hours a day and wash dishes, but that's a lot of what cheese making entails. And it kind of knocked a sense of reality into it for me. Um, And the fact that I still loved it was a really positive sign. Yeah. So, gosh, how to make this story any shorter, I'm not sure. But to kind of make the jump from uh, my apprenticeship with this goat dairy out in Colorado to starting um, my own production here in Berks County um, was just another series of uh, left turns that ultimately led me to what is my ancestral homeland of Berks County. It's where my German ancestors first settled in 1734. It's pretty cool. There's a stone marker on my hill that marks um, where George Angstadt first came over from Germany with his two sons. Uh, My father grew up here. His family grew up here. And uh, there's something something very serendipitous about the fact that I, I rediscovered it and decided to lay down roots here and start this little creamery in Oli. And uh, I totally could have used more experience um, making cheese and making more mistakes on someone else's dime. (laughs) But um, I was bold and fearless enough to just start something up because I was very tied to this sense of place and wanting to be right in Oli. Um, And since there was no one else making cheese in Oli, I just decided to set something up for myself. So um, it's been, yeah, it's been a wild ride. I... um, I make cheese in a 14 by 18 foot, you know, concrete cube. Um, And I mean, Sue, you know a lot about grit. There's everything is on a budget. Everything is pieced together. Nothing is ideal in terms of environmental controls, temperature controls. Um, You know, milk transport is a challenge because we work with a dairy partner that's 20 miles away. Um, there, yeah, there's a challenge at every corner, but um, it's a it's a rich struggle, I would say. I think those challenges really define you as a cheesemaker. If you started and everything was perfect, your journey would have been so much different. <laughs> you know, it's so I true. I mean, there is something really empowering about knowing how to harness those challenges that you have innovated that yourself. Yeah. And I mean, you're good at this. And we we know a lot of cheesemakers who are good at this um, to not make excuses, because I think it's really easy to blame um, maybe like inconsistency or some um, like breach in in quality um, on environment or on circumstance. Or if I just had the money or the resources, I could do this a little better. Um, That's definitely what I usually want to want to do is like latch on to those excuses. But really, um, you know, it comes down to just, as I said, like having the grit and just being able to keep learning and working with the circumstances 
that you have. So um, my, my managing your environment, you do that really well. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Um, my my mother-in-law says, I want my tombstone to read, she did the best she could considering the circumstances. <laughs> it's kind of a good life mantra, isn't it? Um, so yeah, that's kind of what led me to, uh, to starting uh, Valley Milk House. I want to yeah. talk back up just a little bit. Sure. I, I think the first time I met you was at Eckerton Hill Farm, where Angstad Hill is. Yes. And you were working, oh, we have some ghosts are making themselves heard right now. Um, you were working on, um, at Eckerton Hill Farm, uh, doing uh, vegetable production with... Um, I think it's important to note who Eckerton Hill Farm is, yeah, Tim huge, Stark. Tim Stark of Eckerton Hill Farm uh, actually doesn't bring his stuff into Philly, but he goes to New York and he's one of just the OG heirloom tomato green market guys yeah he's he's basically credited for introducing new york city chefs to the heirloom tomato about 30 years ago yeah yeah we forget so, about that yeah you know he's yeah new up and coming he was he, <laughs> he was, was in the late, right place at the right the time there, yeah. there was a time when nobody went to the farmer's market <laughs> yeah and people like tim and a lot of uh, you know people in philadelphia and new york um you know really helped pave the way for our jobs to be as easy quote unquote as they are now um but i, I mentioned that just because a big part of, I, I I mean, maybe you wouldn't agree with this, but it looks to me like a big part of the six, like what has led to your success of your business and something that I see whenever I come up here and in the community that I've met around here is that you have really helped create community around uh, your creamery and Oli. And I mean, Tim is actually your, your neighbor on that property in right. addition to like several other farmers. Right. Um, and the not just Valley Milk House's cheese, you know, being this new artisan cheesemaker and sort of like injecting some new blood into the farming community. Mm -hmm. There's this whole farming community of young farmers now who are doing organic practices and who are, you know, really throwing themselves into growing beautiful produce and making amazing food. Um, but the Covered Bridge Farm Stand also has become like a community hub. And uh, I think it's really impressive how you haven't just made a successful business that can, you know, provide you with a living and um, give you a, a, a place uh, for you, but has also like built a community around it. Oh, that's very generous of you. <laughs> well, <I laughs> yeah, it's, it's been, yeah. yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. I think, uh, you know, to Tim's credit, I mean, I, I was just looking for a farm gig in Berks County when I met Tim. Um, I just moved back from Colorado. I'd done some woofing internationally, and um, I totally did not think Pennsylvania was cool. I, you know, just from having spent some childhood years here, and I just, I wanted to be in the mountains. I wanted to, like, look into New York, um, upstate New York. And so I was interviewing with some farms up in the Hudson River Valley and the Catskills, and... Um, when I met Tim Stark at the Union Square Green Market, he wasn't particularly hiring and I wasn't particularly interested. But we, when we exchanged information and he discovered my last name being Angstat, his jaw just dropped. And he said, oh, I own the original Angstat farmstead and I have 50 acres in Berks County in Rockland Township. And I bought it five years ago from Harold Angstat and we should talk. Um, and I, you know, got lured out to, uh, yeah, I got lured out to Burks that way and totally fell in love and never looked back. And one of the great experiences of working for Tim's farm is that, um, I got to manage the CSA and it, it introduced me to a lot of value added producers in the area, um, including cheese makers. That's 
I think actually how I originally met you. That's Sue. how we met. Yeah, you came out to visit with one of the jerseys that we were trying to milk. <laughs> yeah, I was I was trying to provide some uh, reproductive guidance. Reproductive guidance. <laughs> Tim. Yes. And uh, you taught us about utter therapy. Definitely. <laughs> Which I practice all the time. Yes. And um, I remember it distinctly. I uh, walking around the pastures with you and visiting the two jerseys. And uh, anyway, it was it was just a great introduction into the community. And I think there is something about the CSA model and being in that sort of bird's eye view that it, it just, it introduced me to a lot of the farmers and, and food producers in the area and artisans. And, um, ever since then, I've been trying really hard to draw people closer and kind of keep making these connections like we are with collective creamery, right? I, I mean, we're, it's all about building connections and building a sense of community sure. um, among our industry, which yeah. is sometimes, it's sometimes difficult because, it's easy to feel competitive. And uh, I think yeah, looking I, at it from a perspective of abundance and not scarcity has been really the key to feeling collaborative. Definitely. You I, taught me that, Sue. Well, <laughs> it just comes naturally to both of us. How about that? Yeah, I, I love that how you came back to your family land was through Tim Stark and yeah. through New York City. and cool. Um, it's really a great part of the story. And um, I really think people would love to hear about your grandfather's journals and how they have influenced you with your cheeses and naming the cheeses. Oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah. So um, my my grandfather was uh, Bill Angstadt, and he, for 30 years, owned and operated a company called Redding Bone Fertilizer. Which every farmer in multiple counties knows <clears throat> Redding Bone Fertilizer. We still have all the old signage, which are great, great <laughs> for filling empty spaces. And we may have some hats like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in a closet somewhere. <laughs> Probably falling apart. Um, but yeah, it was it was a pretty neat company that was started in the, actually, I would say mid-19th century that broke down um, ant animals. I mean, they basically yeah, were like a wow. really great recycler of livestock um, and agricultural waste products, essentially breaking animals down into uh, bone meal, fertilizer, and other soil amendments. Um, and when my my grandfather, Bill, he um, worked as an employee there for a decade or two before he actually bought it and operated it for 30 years. Um it was just it was kind of a different era and he was just so well respected he was a friend to a lot of farmers in the region and i i wear that with pride um so he uh has since passed on but i did discover um a binder of his that contains it's a weed identification guide um and it's actually where i have come up with all of the names for my cheeses um, because I just I opened this book and there were basically um, plant and flower pressings of oh, different wow. weeds that he had found in the pastures and in the fields that are all you know native native or invasive Pennsylvania plants and um, I just thought they made great names and so when I was starting my business um, I, I really leaned on that as inspiration for naming cheeses so that's where clover and thistle and witchgrass and bluebell come from and uh so many others. And since then, that's kind of been the foundation for our naming of cheese. And it's a little bit of a play on the terroir of the land, um, if you will. So I, I like that it is also connected to sense of place. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about your slate of cheeses. Like what, what has inspired some of the styles that you want to make? I very much am inspired by um, taste nostalgia. <laughs> uh, when I was growing up, as I said, my mother was Belgian and I spent a lot of time in Europe. Almost every year, every other year, we would spend a good amount of time, a few weeks or a month um, in Belgium or in France visiting family. And it's through her and her family that I got introduced to stinky cheeses and just the cheese course, you know, as, as really a centerpiece of every meal. And um, when my family moved to the United States and I... Um, kind of developed my own sense of taste as, as a young adult, I was really missing all of those um, flavors that I tasted and smelled in the European cheese shops. And so uh, I think, yeah, I think that a lot of those, like the, the soft ripened styles, um, you know, natural rinds, lots of barnyard flavors, lots of mushroomy, earthy flavors, those are all the tastes that I remember so well, and I've been chasing those ever since. I, I want to make cheeses that are conversation pieces that can kind of stand alone, right? And um, so that's For been people an to gather around. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I will say, you know, when I was working for Tim Stark and buying cheese from you, Sue, to um, circulate through the CSA that we had, when I tasted your fat cat for the first time, I remember being brought right back oh, to that so French nice. cheese oh, shop. Yeah. Oh, that's such a nice And I thought, there. this woman is doing She's really doing it. She gets it. And um, it was it was kind of a, a free and wild spirit, that cheese. I think it still is. Definitely. A lot. All of your cheeses are, really. I mean, that's how you describe them, too, is that they're, they're bold and they're funky. Um, and yeah, I've, I've just kind of been chasing those characteristics ever since. And I like cheeses that are pretty. Uh, so that helps a lot because I, I'm such a visual person. So, um, it's very important to me to see a cheese looking as beautiful as it tastes. Which all of yours do. <laughs> they really do. I sell Steph's cheeses at the farmer's market in West Philly. Um, and I feel like they're so striking from the blue to the witch grass, which everyone thinks is a blue, and I have to disabuse them of that notion. Um, <laughs> but they, and the way that we describe them too, we're like, oh, this like this beautiful like coat of like mottled gray on the witch grass, or this peachy pink hue on the rind of lady slipper that's cultivated from hard cider must, for example. And her marketing, like her website, her marketing materials. Our collective creamery website, her labels are all just beautiful and stuff designed them all herself. So um, that also extends to the marketing for her business, which is just like really compelling and people love, I think. And it's been four years and you haven't changed a thing, really, have you? No. Well, because it works. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If it ain't broke, yeah. I mean, everything could always use some updating and upgrading, but uh, do you have a background that's not what I'm focused on. Do you have any design background? No. Because you do have such a great aesthetic. Oh, She's just classy and elegant. That's really <laughs> nice. Oh, my goodness. You're buttering me up. A little humble, too. Um, oh, and the butter. In addition to mention it, yeah, in addition to the cheeses, Steph does make. In season, she makes uh, a really amazing tangy thick yogurt. And she also makes the greatest butter that I've ever tasted. Cultured butter. A really beautiful cultured butter uh, with cream from Seven Stars Farm, which is biodynamic. Which, Thanks. you know, say what you want about biodynamic, but... That butter, 
it's something special. Well, thanks. That's part of why. Um, I will say, you know, one, one other thing about um, selecting cheese styles, because I think that's one of the hardest things to do when you're starting a creamery is figuring out what cheeses to make initially and what to really focus in on. Um, and I want to keep experimenting and branching out. But I think these first few years have been very much about just like understanding the few cheeses that I've selected to focus on. I was very interested in soft ripened cheeses, both lactic and rennet styles. Um, and for those listeners who do, that doesn't mean anything to to you. But uh, the lactic styles are the ones that are a little bit tangier and chalkier, like witchgrass. Um, the rennet style soft ripened cheeses are more like a brie or camembert, something with like a silkier, um, maybe slightly more elastic and, and golden yellow uh, paste. Um, but I was really interested in those styles because at the time that I was working for Tim's Farm, I, I thought I sense that they might have been underrepresented in our region. So I was excited about filling that void mm-hmm. at the time. And actually, since then, there's been a real bloom of of blooms. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been wonderful to see. Um, and then the other thing I will say, too, is that because I don't have a lot of aging space, I've focused on those cheeses that are mm-hmm. fresh and soft ripen or can develop a lot of flavor within two or three months, um, just because I don't have a full cave to really invest in some of those longer age cheeses. So it's been a little bit um, whimsical, but also a little bit practical in terms of developing developing the styles. So I'm wondering, what are some of the things that you can say just came naturally, and what are some of the things that just keep you up at night as a cheesemaker? Hmm. I mean, it's a That's big... a great question. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'll start with the challenge, which has definitely been twofold. The first one is that um, I'm not a dairy farmer, and I travel 20 miles for milk. And I've been wise to select a wonderful dairy partner who I trust and admire and who I can be pretty hands-off with in terms of how they manage their animals. But it's a missing link. You know, mm-hmm. cheese is milk. It's milk quality, it's feed, it's pasture management. And that is um, a realm that as hard as I try to educate myself on, I still will never feel fully connected because it's separate from my operation. Right. So that's one of the biggest challenges is trying to understand Um, especially with a more pasture-based operation like Spring Creek Farm, how do the seasons affect my process and how can I link feed and feeding programs to the microbiology of cheese making? And it's, that's the lifelong journey. Like that's, that's what I think will be my biggest challenge to understanding. Um, and I think the second challenge is definitely, um, I don't have a science background. I'm more of a writer and, um, I think I'm a good communicator and I have other skills, but I am most certainly not um, science oriented. So learning uh, the chemistry of cheesemaking is something else that um, has not come naturally. It's complex. Yeah. Yeah. It's complex. But it can be learned and there's so much to learn um, over time. And it's amazing how much understanding the science really unlocks so much potential in your cheeses. So that's what I'm excited about. That's why we all need to talk to each other. That's right. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast. We hope to like be able to unleash some of these, you know, little hidden gems that help us all to improve our craft. Yes, we can all learn. Yeah, 
we can all learn from each other. Absolutely. Um, What's come easily is, um, I think the sensuality of cheese making is what feels really right to me. I, I am a pretty sensual person. And I think the fact that taste and smell and sight and touch can guide the process so much is pretty cool. Like I might not know the chemistry of what exactly is happening at point, you know, C in the process, but I know how like the curds feel on my hands. And if I can just remember that feeling, then that can guide my process. So that's helped fill in the gaps a lot, which is right. pretty fun. And isn't historically, that's how cheese has been right. made. That's true. You know, that's it's true. been through, yeah. you know, the hand of the cheesemaker, the conditions, yeah. knowing what the milk's going to be, right. you know, as the season changes. And really, it's the beauty of what we do. Right. It really is. It's pretty neat that you can use both sets of tools that are completely different to guide your process. Right. And hopefully you can build up enough knowledge in both realms as a cheesemaker to start perfecting your craft, but it takes decades. Well, thank you so much, Steph, for uh, letting us focus in on your operation. Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com.